Thanks for joining us today to hear our latest Hope Central podcast. We trust this message will help you know more about Jesus and inspire you to be more like Him. was fantastic. Like seriously, well done guys. I mean, I know it was a bit tricky without a drummer and those sorts of things, but it was great. And some of the songs that were sung today, just I thought, this is exactly what I'll be preaching about today. God takes us where we don't know where we're going sometimes. God fills us with a vision and that vision, we don't know where it's going to take us all the time, but we can trust in God and know that he has complete control of everything. So I, I get to talk about the power of vision. The dictionary describes vision, a vision as the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom or a mental image of what the future will be or could look like. Vision is often linked to words like imagination, creativity, creative power and inventiveness. Vision is creative. Vision is creative. Vision is the art of seeing something that isn't as though it should be and could be. And visionaries do exactly that, don't they? They see things that aren't that could be. I remember sitting in Frank's house in his office one day and I said, Frank, you've got this successful storage business. Why would you want to do a, a solar business? Why would you suddenly want to branch off into something different? And he said to me, look out that window, what do you see? And I said, oh, I don't know, houses, the coast, the sky, the bloke down there mowing his lawn. He said, look at the roofs. So what about them? He said, there's no solar on there. We could put solar on all these roofs if we started a business. I didn't see any of that. I saw houses and trees and Frank saw what could be. That's what a visionary does. They see things that aren't that they could be. In 1878, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, an unknown minister called Milton bought his two sons a gift. And the gift was called a toy helicopter. It was French. It was made of bamboo and paper. He wound it up in their living room, let it go, and it flew up into the sky and fluttered and, and then fell. And the two boys were overwhelmed by what they had seen. They were amazed by seeing this thing. And that changed their life forever. They got a vision of something that could be and should be. Of course, that's the Wright brothers. And on December 17, 1903, their vision came into being when they took their first flight in a powered aeroplane. Sure, it only went for 36.5 metres and lasted 12 seconds. But could you imagine that day? That day when, from, as young kids, 25 years later, their dream became a reality. No one had got in a plane before that was powered by a motor and had flown. 36 metres. What a day. It would have been incredible. They would have been gone off the head. <laughs> of course, they would never have known that we'd be travelling around the world like we do today, a magnificent beast like the A380. That's not working. I probably need to turn it on. That would help. There they are. There you go. So no one would know. They wouldn't have known they were flying in such incredible machines like that you can get from one side of the world to the other overnight. It's an incredible thing because of their vision. We get to enjoy their, the rewards of what they've done. Me and Anna 
he may know absolute plain Greek geeks so we love the, the Wright brothers we often go down to the airport on our days off and you know have a cup of coffee and wave at people we don't know and <laughs> buy $200 sausage rolls just to watch planes take off and land and we love it but thanks for the, the vision of the Wright brothers which I think is an incredible thing that, that vision that you can see something that isn't as though it is I think that's brilliant and we're still seeing people with vision change and shape how we do things today not always for good but most of the time it's generally because it's born out of concern people's visions are born out of concern all things people want to see happen or change come from concern the concern of flight the concern for communication the concern for famine who, who remembers live aid what an amazing event that was never been seen like that before worldwide millions of dollars raised the concern for others mother Teresa was an absolute champion concern for education or health all vision starts with a concern something within you a vision comes from the heart of man is quite something it's amazing that people can see things it's incredible but can you imagine a vision that's implanted into you by God that vision is unstoppable that vision is life-changing life-altering a vision from God can do anything it's limitless Proverbs 29 18 says where there is no vision the people perish where there is no understanding of God or the word of God people fall apart they perish unless they know God and know what it is that God wants when you get a vision from God who will both fulfill you and consume you when God places a vision in your heart nothing will be the same again once you start moving into that vision your passion for that vision will continue to grow it's because what God originates God orchestrates what God sets a light in your heart, God will work through it. Now, I'd like to take the, that was Andy Stanley's, he says that. What God originates, God orchestrates. What God births in you, he will work through to completion. We all know Ephesians 2.10 is my favourite line, my favourite scripture. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we'd walk in them. God is the master visionary God saw the world before it was God saw us before we were do you understand that you are actually part of God's vision God has a vision for you God has a vision for each and every one of us in this room and he saw it before we were even formed people out there watching online God has a vision for you God knows what we could be and should be long before we know it the creator of everything we see saw us and has a vision for us it's amazing everyone in this room has a vision in my life God has shown me two visions and I'm just going to share some stories I know a lot of you will probably have heard parts of these or all of it before some haven't so just bear with me but this is my journey in vision and what God's shown me when I was before I was saved I was a pretty selfish young lad and uh, I did whatever I wanted to do to make me happy I'd go from thing to thing I couldn't hold down the job but it didn't matter as long as I had money to do the next thing I did things that made me happy but they didn't actually satisfy most of the things I did was because of what my brothers did or because of what my friends at the time were doing because I was an absolute follower everything I did I just followed people what they did it didn't matter what they do I would do it I had no vision for my life at all and then I became a Christian I started maturing in God and he started talking to me in dreams and this is the only way God has ever spoken to me I don't get it from scripture I don't get it from any other way but God speaks to me in dreams and when I was 
I don't know, I was reasonably newly married. God would start speaking to me in dreams and he'd show me visions of me standing in front of lots of people and talking. Now, if you know me, that is the absolute last thing I'd ever want to do. And I'd wake up from the dream in a sweat. They were nightmares to me. I think, oh, there is no way I'm doing it. I'd say to Anna, I had that ridiculous dream again today. And, I, and then it started getting more and more. They were just so real, like I'm standing here now, that I was standing in front of people and talking. And I got started getting angry with God, and I said, I'm not doing this. I am not going to do this. This is not for me. And then he started putting scriptures in my head. During uh, When I was sleeping, I'd wake up and say to Anna, does Hezekiah 12.35 say this? Word for word, out of the Bible. And I'm like, oh, come on, give me a break. I'm, this is ridiculous. This is getting too silly now. So I thought, I'm not going to do it. I will not do it. And then one day it's an audible, this is what you're going to do. And I said, all right, I'll do it. It's your dream. It's your vision. You have to do it. I'm not doing anything. If you want me to do this, you have to do it. So he said, good enough for me. And off we went. The second I did that, I never heard from him again. I thought, well, that's handy. So that's all right. So I thought, well, that's good. He's not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. So we're winning here. And we went along for years and years, not worrying about it too much. Had two kids. Was working at Holden's. Had two kids at home. Working at Holden's. And I thought, well... I might just go to Bible college to learn a bit more about the Bible. That's all. So I went to Bible while I was working full-time at Holden's on afternoon shift doing 40 to 60 hours a week, doing fatherly duties, raising my children, making dinner, and then going to Bible college. Bible college to me was seriously, I've had some dental work done in my time. <laughs> Bible college was worse. I actually couldn't think of anything worse than going to Bible college. I just went there to learn about the Bible. I went with Glynn, actually. So I went with Glynn to Bible College. And, and funnily enough, I think, what, 11, 11 people from our church all went to Bible College together and none of us knew we were doing it. We just went to the first day and they were all sitting in the class together like, what's going on here? Anyway, so I went with Glynn and Glynn loved it. Glynn thought it was the best thing ever. Best thing ever. Best thing ever. I, I honestly think it's where I developed my resting grumpy face. I, I think that's about all I learned from Bible College. But Glynn loved it. Young people loved it. They, they were floating on air as they wore the, ooh, there were noises being, I, I couldn't stand it. Anyway, so I went to Bible college, did that. Around the time that I finished Bible college, I finished up at Holden's. And I thought, what am I going to do now? And the Lord gave me the greatest job I've ever had in my life. He got me a job at Phoenix Society, working with people with disabilities. I worked there as well, yes. But... I went at Phoenix Society, and he, that's where the second vision came. And this was a vision that was driven by concern. I left Holden's, not knowing what to do, went, went to uh, Phoenix Society, and my job was a training and development officer where I would work with people with disabilities, train them new skills, and that sort of thing. We'd sit around the table, and we'd be chitty-chatting, as you do. They said, what do you do on the weekend? And I said, oh, you know, went to church. And I cannot tell you how many people said to me, oh, we used to go to church, but we weren't made to feel welcome there, so we stopped going. And that was the concern. That was the moment that God dropped this concern in my heart that this isn't right. People should never not feel they're welcome in church. It doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, what your abilities or lack of abilities are. Everybody should be in church, should be made to feel welcome in church, should be able to worship God together. So this concern to have this service um, for people with disability was born then, which is now 17 years ago that that was born. Anyway, after a year, 
God started moving in this plan and he started tricking me and pulling the rug out from under my feet. And while I was at Wakery, uh, sorry, while I was at Phoenix, um, we were running a church down in Wakery and they said, could you go down there for a month and preach for a month to people in Wakery to give the guy down there a rest? I'd never preached in my life. They didn't ask me what I was going to preach. They said, do you want to go down there and do it? And I said, yes. Oh, yeah, why not? Give that a crack. Still working at Phoenix. So me and Anna would go down every Sunday morning. We'd drive all the way to Wakery, come in the back way, go and say something on stage. I couldn't even tell you what I said. I reckon most messages went for about six minutes, uh, shake hands and leave the other same way and we wouldn't even look at the town. And on the fourth week we'd done it and I thought, thank goodness, this is over. I don't have to worry about it. I said, Anna, why don't we go for a drive through the, the town and just have a look at what it looks like because we've never even seen the town. So we drove through the town and we both started crying. And we said, God's going to call us back here. And there was, that was this vision like, why would we come here? We haven't, they don't even like it. It was a blubbing in the car. So I said to Anna, what we'll do, when we go back, we won't tell the pastor what God's shown us. We'll keep it a secret and then he won't know. So that was good. So that was our plan. So we did that. And I went back to Phoenix happily. And uh, then the pastor called us in one day and said, I had this dream from God. I had a vision that you guys should be running the Wakery Church. And of course, it was a full-time job and everything lined up that worked. So I had to give up my job at Phoenix Society. Now, that was the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my life because I love that job. And I'd never wanted to be a pastor. But I thought, well, maybe God's calling me to do that. So we went to Wakery and did that. And we built some really great connections there and we did some things. Within a year, though, it all fell apart again. I thought, what am I going to do now? God, you gave me the best job ever. You sent me to Wakery to be a pastor, which is hideous. And then, actually, everybody watching online, it wasn't that bad, actually. It was pretty good. And then I didn't know what to do. And funnily enough, a bloke from Phoenix, my old boss, rang me and asked me how my job was going. I said, well, it's not real great. He said, well, how about you come back to us for a pay rise and a promotion? I I know, that's what I thought. So I thought, all right. So we went went back to Phoenix and worked again with people with disabilities. And it was an amazing time. And I never really understood why. Why God would do that there, here, there, here, until I came to Hope Central. Now, 14 years I'd had this vision of running a service for people with a disability, and I'd talk to other pastors about it. I had a response like, why would you want to do that? Oh, that would never work. What a waste of time. These are talking to pastors. What a waste of time. Yet I came here completely broken, as you all know, and uh, talking to Jody, who worked in disability herself, and she instantly thought, what a great idea. And of course, as you know, that we now run a service for people with disabilities, which is pretty good, isn't it, Jamie? Yes, good. So that's been great. The experience have taught me two things about goals and calling and vision in my life. The first one is you, you can be stubborn all you want, but God is patient. Jonah had a vision from God, didn't he? In Jonah 1, 1 to 2, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come upon me. For the evil has come upon me. God wanted to wipe out Nineveh, didn't he? He wanted to destroy it. But, of course, God's a loving God, and he said, I'll give them another chance. I'll send you, Jonah. You can go and do it. Jonah, like, insert my name, Ashley, said, that's a great idea, but I'm not going to go and do it. So he jumped on a boat, and he went to Tarshish to run away from God's calling on his life. And as he's on the boat, the waves and the storms blow up, And the sailors are petrified. 
And Jonah wakes up and walks and said, look, the reason the waves are like this is because of me. I've said no to God's vision. So throw me overboard and the waves will calm. Now there's a guy who really didn't want to fulfill what God wanted in his life. <laughs> throw me overboard and that'll be it. It's all over. Of course, God is an amazing God and he had a big fish waiting for him. He swallowed him up. Swam into New- this is the best part of the story, isn't it? He's, he's in the belly of the fish talking to God, still alive, chatting to him, moaning. Swims into Nineveh, spits him up on the shore. Tr- you could just see him. He would have trudged up the beach. Right, I talk to the Ninevites. You need Jesus. Repent. Everybody repents. And the work of the Lord is done. The vision is fulfilled. What does Jonah do? He whinges and mopes and complains and goes and sits under a tree. I mean, God, he was so reluctant in what he was called to do, yet God still had his way. And the sad thing is, Jonah went and sat under a tree and moped about how kind God was. I can't tell you the number of times that I tried to sabotage my dreams, my visions that God had given me. I would say I can't do it. I haven't got the right words to say. I've done too much wrong in my life. There are people much better qualified than me. I mean, in all seriousness, when I was asked to go to Wakery, I went to Glyn and said, I think God's called you to Wakery, Glyn. <laughs> Is that true? I said, take, take my vision because I don't want it. You go and do it, Glyn. And unfortunately, Glyn didn't take it, so I had to go and do it. So I tried to sabotage all I could that God put on my heart, and you can't do it. All the time, though, knowing that, that was, that's what God had called me to do. He'd give me that vision, I must do it. When God puts a vision on you, it consumes you, it overtakes you, it's all you can think about, and anything else just doesn't fulfill, and you can't run from it. You can't run from God's vision. Jeremiah thought he could run and hide from the vision of God. In 20, Jeremiah 29, he says, But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more of his name, his word in my heart is like fire, a fire shut in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He knew that he could not do what God had called him. He wanted to so many times. He's known as the weeping prophet. He would, he would have been like me. He would have been like, oh, don't give me this. I don't want to go and tell these people about you. It's too hard. He was known as the weeping prophet. He threw it in three or four times. But he knew how to do it because Israel depended on him. He had to do what God called him to do. It had become his life. Andy Stanley in his book Visioneering says this, vision is a set of directions for our lives. It serves as a roadmap in this way. Vision simplifies decisions making, decision making. Anything that moves us towards the realisation of our vision gets a green light. Everything else is a caution. I believe that there are many people who have had visions from God sitting here, sitting out there, and they are reluctant to follow after it because of the cost of it, because of the fear, because maybe it just doesn't suit what you want with your life. When other things pop up and distract us, it's very easy to do that. The problem with that is, at the end of your life, you run the risk of saying, what have I done with my life? I've achieved nothing. Because we're chasing after our own dreams. We need to be following what God's called for our lives. It will never fulfill you chasing what you want. What the world has for you will never fulfill you. You need to chase after what God's put on your heart. You were created with a purpose. God knew you before you were formed and you are a part of his vision. You need to follow after that. And if 
uh, Timothy tells us that this gift that's within us, we need to stir it up in 4.14. It's to stir up the gift that's in you. You need to be asking. If you don't know what the gift is, if you don't know what vision God has for you, then you need to ask. Matthew 7.7, 7, everybody knows this, this scripture. Ask and, it will, and it, will, it will be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. Let me encourage you today. Ask God to reveal his purpose to you. And when he does, resolve to give in to it. Let go of yourself. Let God have his way in your life. Be patient because the scripture above means keep asking. It doesn't mean ask once. Oh, I didn't hear from him, that's it. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. Keep chasing after God. God hasn't put a word or a gift in your, a vision in your heart. Keep asking for it. We need a vision for our lives for other people. You need to be patient because the other thing is you can't hurry God's vision. 14 years, I had this burning desire. And I, it's, unless you've had it, you can't describe it. This desire to see people with a disability in a church service where they could be with their parents, they can be with their carers, and they could openly worship freely and feel like that was the place they belonged. I had that burning in me for 14 years, getting turned down by lots of people. And I know I have to get it done. I'm also nowhere near the pastor that God has called me to be yet. I know I've got to learn so much more and I need to do more. But all I can do is trust the vision that God's put in my heart, he will bring into fruition. When you look at the life of Moses and you talk about knowing you from before you were born, Moses was born in a time in Egypt where uh, the Egyptians were killing firstborn children and uh, he was hidden for three months and he was put in a, a basket put out in the uh, Nile and sent away so he wasn't found. And of course, we know that he was found by Pharaoh's daughter and she took him in and he was raised as an Egyptian and he lived in Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh's house. And while he was there, he saw the bad things that happened to his people and he couldn't do much about it. And then one day he went down to visit them, as you know, and uh, he saw an Egyptian guard beating a, uh, one of his people to pieces. So Moses, being a man of justice and wanting to see the things done right, grabbed the guard, beat him and to death and then buried him under some rocks. It's a good story so far. <laughs> Next day, he went down to visit his fellow countrymen again and they said, oh, we saw what you did. So in fear of uh, being caught, knowing Pharaoh was going to be very angry with him, he fled, didn't he? And he went to Midian. And he went to Midian for 40 years. He met uh, Zipporah, his wife there, by a well. He fought off some shepherds, became in favour with uh, Zipporah's dad, married her and stayed there for 40 years as a shepherd. And during his time as a shepherd, the burning bush story happened where God came to him in a burning bush and unveiled his vision for his life. 80 years God had been with him the whole way and then he gets a burning bush vision from God to say, you need to set my people free. He didn't want to do it. Moses didn't want to do it. Moses was fearful. He said he couldn't talk properly. Send someone else who's more qualified. That's what we all say when God calls us to do something. I don't want to do this. This is too hard. Nevertheless, what God originates God will orchestrate. 40 years he spent as an Egyptian. 40 years he spent in exile in Midian. And 40 years he wandered around in the wilderness chasing after the vision that God had for him. He took the people out of Israel to go and lead them to freedom. Do you know, within days, they were already complaining. They were already whinging that it was better back there because they knew what they had to eat. They knew what they had. And here's a guy, Moses, who's got a vision, a burning passion from God 
to get these guys free from slavery and they're whinging about being better off in slavery. He didn't have someone alongside him who caught that vision. Well, he did. Those guys didn't know it. And Moses had this vision for a better life and people came alongside him. If God is going to give you a vision, you need to allow that vision to grow in others to help you along the way. Unique would never be where it is today if it wasn't for people, great people, who have come alongside and caught the vision and said, yes, we need to see something better for people. And those people who come alongside us make it happen. And it's, it's not where it's meant to be yet. It's going to be a lot bigger. And I may never, ever see the fullness of this vision grow. I mean, Moses didn't. Aaron and that made it into the promised land. Moses didn't, but he was the one who caught the vision and shared the vision and other people finished the vision. It may be the same for Unique. I may not see it grow into what I've seen, but it will happen because I'm in control of it. Vision isn't easy. Sometimes it can be the hardest thing we can do. But unlike some of the worldly pursuits, the vision isn't for us. Vision is usually for others, for us to do. And I want to finish with this, if I can have the band come back up, or at least keyboards. You can have the band up, that's fine. Having a clear vision of what God has for your life is a gift. It's hard work, but having a vision for your life is, from God is a gift. It's a gift for you and it is a gift for others. 1 Peter 4.9 tells us, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Your vision doesn't have to be grandiose. You don't have to be preaching in front of thousands of people. You don't have to have an upfront ministry. When things are better, you, sorry, you need to see things as better. If you want a vision, see the future as better. When things are better, we see people's lives change. We see people come to salvation. We see her restored and we see sick people healed. Can you imagine what it would look like if all of us had that vision to see what God sees, to see what God wants for people? Could you imagine what this place would be like, what the world would be like if we had that vision? 